Right. Welcome, welcome, welcome tonight. I'm standing up here waiting for Ken to show up so we can lead singing, and he's only told me 12 times he's preaching at Wayside tonight. And then even on Sunday night, he said, Preacher, don't forget I'm preaching at Wayside. And then today he sent me a text, Preacher, don't forget I'm preaching at Wayside. But that was four whole hours ago, and I just totally forgot. So page 397 in your hymn book, we're going to do all four verses. I love, love, love this song, page 397, Little as Much When God Is In It. Let's stand and sing together. Page 397, sing with us now. Verse number three, because it reminds us that regardless of our age, our abilities, or even sometimes our disabilities in life, there is always a place of service for the child of God. If you physically cannot do what you once did because of age or physical conditions, you can always be in the most important place, and that's the place of prayer. So let's sing verse number three together this evening. Are you laid? Are you laid aside from service? this evening on my left tonight special outspoken brother Daryl
for that one, Daryl's father. Somebody else on my left tonight. Uh, yes, go ahead, sister. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Janie? Right. Thank you, sister. Anybody else on my left tonight? Special outspoken request this evening. All right. In the middle, outspoken request tonight. Want to share with us. John? Absolutely. Thank you, Brother John. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Remember that one tonight. Uh, yes, ma'am. Ms. Helbert? All right. Let's read that. Soski. Right, her brother tonight. Thank you, Miss Betty. Somebody else in the middle? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brother Johnny. Other, yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Absolutely, and I, I don't want to get off on a political tangent by any means, but we, I know we always pray for our country. It feels like we've gone back about 50 years. Desperately need to pray for healing, and uh, I'm a firm believer that civil discourse is the cure for civil hatred, and uh, we can disagree without being disagreeable, and we can disagree without being mean and unkind, and that's even in faith circles, religious circles. So we need to pray for our country to get some sense about them once again. Amen, preacher. Somebody else tonight, outspoken in the middle. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Thank you, John. On my right tonight, outspoken. Yep, Brother Mike. Right, Brother Mike's mom. Somebody else, Miss Irma. Absolutely. Thank you, Sister. Others on my right tonight, special outspoken, Brother Carl. Right. Anybody else on my right? Cameron?
Absolutely. Well said. Somebody else on my right tonight. Yes, ma'am. Right. Brother Mark Souter, thank you. Others spo outspoken tonight that I missed this. Yes, ma'am. That one tonight. Thank you so much. Continue to pray for Susan Atkins as well as she seeks a plan. And I, I wanted to clarify her hospitalization that I had mentioned to you a couple of times was not for that. She was there for a, another physical condition was not related to a successful transplant. I think some folks may have gotten the wrong signal about that. Anybody else? Unspoken tonight. You want to lift your hand tonight with an unspoken. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this evening thankful for the opportunity as always that you have provided to be in your house tonight, reminding ourselves that the doors are open. And Lord, thankful for folks that come out and hungry to hear from heaven, hungry to study the word of God, and hungry to bear one another's burdens. Lord, I pray your blessings upon us tonight as we open up the precious word of God. Lord, that you would reveal yourself through what we study this evening. Lord, as we continue to look at these end times prophecies to remind ourselves that we do that for the simple reality that there is work to be done. Get our friends and loved ones through the power of the preaching the power of the Word of God to a faithful knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, for all of these requests tonight, I pray your blessings would be upon them. Lord, I pray that you'd touch each one, that you'd answer each one. Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Page, when I get to do the song service, I get to pick my favorite song. So we're going to do my second favorite hymn, page 246. Most of you know it. It's a Fanny Crosby classic. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. We'll do the first verse, the last verse. Then we'll shake hands tonight. 246, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Sing with us now. Redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the number three. It's my favorite verse. Sing it now. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of with each other. Shake hands tonight. Thank you for being here this evening.
All right. Thank you so much uh, uh, for, uh, again, fellowshipping with each other. A couple quick reminders. First of all, uh, I had a lot of questions on Sunday about the time for our revival and the fact that it is our, for our end of the summer jubilee coming up in a couple of weeks and for the fact that it is not on the flyer. Um, there is a story to that that I will gladly share with you. And I always preface most of these by telling you that if you can't laugh at yourself, you're in a sad shape. I look up in the mirror every morning when I get out of bed, and I'm reminded God has a sense of humor. Don't say amen to that. Amen. You too. So I, when I created this, and I, I, I liked it, it took me a while to get it to the way I liked it. Uh, I, I got the, went and bought the paper that I liked, a special kind that I like to use for our flyers to make sure they look pristine and, and done first class. And I usually print about 100, uh, and the last time I did that, we ran out, so I thought, I'm going to do 150 this time. So I print, punched in 150, ding, print, it starts printing. I turn around, and I'm working, going to town, blah, 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 doing something else. And I thought, let me turn around and look, and And I pulled it out, and good golly, Miss Molly, I misspelt the word Stanley Town. Well, you know, that's a big word. So (laughs) if you're going to misspell one of the words, that's a good one to misspell. And I thought, oh, my word, let me cancel this so I can save the paper. I pulled up the print icon, canceled it, and 148 of them had already printed. So I threw those away. And I, I correctly spelled the word Stanley Town. Hit 150 again. This 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 piece of, this um, packet of paper has 300. I don't have another chance at this. So I'm printing it off. And again, I I've learned a lesson. I should print one off. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I should print one off. I don't need anybody saying amen to that. <laughs> and look at it. And again, after I've gotten down to like a hundred of them, uh, I pull it up, and doggone, I forgot the date. In correcting the word Stanley Town, I accidentally took out seven o'clock p.m. So uh, I was out of paper. So it doesn't say seven o'clock, but it starts at seven o'clock p.m. But here's the good news: I was chatting with this of. On, on Sunday night with Brother Upchurch. And he said, Preacher, don't worry about it. This is a Baptist church. It's either going to start at 7 or 7.30. So if, so if folks just be conservative and get here at 7, they'll be on time. Amen. So 7 o'clock is what time we start. I'm sure looking forward to it. Uh, Brother Heath Williams is actually down at Brother Danny's father's church uh, this week. And uh, Heath's wife is due any day now. Shane is due any day now with her baby. And I keep texting um, Heath and telling him to send that girl outside running because I don't want her to come and do when he's in the pulpit. Uh, but you pray for them. This is their first child. They're eminently excited. And I'm excited to introduce him to you all from uh, this perspective and for you to get to hear CT. Joyful sounds are always a blessing, and I don't need to tell you about Kyle Rowland and Deliverance. We're looking forward to a great week coming up in just a couple of weeks. Fellas, make your way down tonight if you would. I'm going to ask everybody to turn to Revelation tonight. Revelation, if you would, chapter number 20, and we're going to get into the Word this evening. We'll ask God's blessings upon the offering. Uh, Father, bless the offering. May it be what you'd have it to be. We'll thank you, and we'll sure praise you for it. Christ's name, amen.
Thank you, ladies. Revelation chapter number 20 tonight. If you've got a uh, bookmarker of any sort or type that you want to uh, put there, go ahead and do so. There are a few other places that we will be turning to tonight as we look at a few other scriptures, a few other references. We come to our Summer of Prophecy series point in time where we are looking at uh, what is referred to and is in fact the name that I give the message tonight taken directly from Revelation 20, uh, what is called the Great White Throne of Judgment. Again, I need to differentiate that from what we've already studied, which is the judgment seat of Christ. We don't want to confuse those two because at the judgment seat, that is where those of us who are saved will be judged according to our deeds in the flesh. I thankful to you, and I hope you will amen me on this. You don't have to worry about your sins being judged there. That's already been paid for at Calvary. Amen. But there will be a time tonight, folks, where every lost person will face God in judgment. Think with me tonight. The world is filled with people who live their lives as if they have no worries and as if God does not exist. They live their lives thinking that they will never have to give an account, that there is nothing that they have to think about with regards to eternity, the price that they might pay for their own willful disobedience. I will say again that though they may not realize it, though they may not accept it at the moment, there will come a day, according to our Bible that you hold in your lap, where every lost sinner will face the Lord in judgment. And on that day, there will be no place for anyone to hide. No one will hide behind excuses. No one will hide behind ignorance. No one will hide behind false professions of faith. Rather, everyone who has never accepted Christ will stand before Christ as Lord and judge. They will receive what is by all accounts, according to the Bible, a just sentence for their disobedience. Before we get into this tonight, I want to very clearly set the stage. Because I recognize that on a Wednesday night, that there is usually just saved people in the audience. So I want to underscore this, underline it, and state it clearly that there will not be a single born-again believer who will stand in judgment at that day. If you are saved, you do not have to worry about being judged at the great white throne of judgment. On that day, as I'm going to show you plainly from Scripture, sins are judged. And I encourage you to say amen one more time. Our sins have already been paid for. That happened at Calvary's cross. If you're a born-again believer tonight, you've accepted that, and your sins have been forgiven, and your spiritual slate has been wiped clean. In fact, as we'll look at the books that are referenced tonight, when they get to your name to look at your sins, if you'll allow this, uh, all they will see, perhaps, and I mean God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, all that will be seen beside of my name is covered and paid for at Calvary. That's what we'll be studying tonight. Why do we look at it? Because it's a reminder that for all of us, there is work to do. I want you to think with me tonight 
And I'm not one to scare folks. I'm not one to terrify people into doing something. But I want you to think with me tonight, how many, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of us have loved ones who will be standing at the great white throne of judgment? How many of us have friends that we cherish who, uh, barring a salvation experience, will be at the great white throne of judgment? Most of you have to, like me, nod your head and say, you know of folks that you love dearly. That barring them becoming born again, they will be there. Let's begin reading in chapter number 20, verse number 11. We'll go ahead and read down through verse 15 tonight, and then we'll go back and begin to pull it apart. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth, the heaven fled away, there was no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books, notice that is plural, the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death, hell delivered up the dead which were in them. They were judged, every man, according to their works. And death, hell, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast to the lake of Three things that I want you to observe with me tonight. We dive into this simple thought, the great white throne of judgment. Number one, I want you to note with me the judge that's on the throne. The judge that's on the throne. It's very interesting when we look at the picture that's displayed in this throne. Because there are two adjectives that clearly are utilized in verse number 11. Again, quoting directly from the scripture, it says, I saw a great white throne. Let's decide or decipher the meaning of those words. The word great in scripture references strength, references power. It references might. I submit to you tonight, that this throne room, this judgment seat, is in fact the grandest and the highest court in all of the universe. When judgment is rendered from this throne room, there is no appeal to a higher court because there is no higher court than this court. A, 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 a thing for us to perhaps liken it to, the closest that we have, is the understanding of our national Supreme Court. You understand that when lower courts, circuit courts, district courts make decisions, those decisions can be appealed over and over up the court chain and sometimes even all the way up to the Supreme Court if the Supreme Court is willing to take the case. 
You also understand that if the Supreme Court takes a case and renders a verdict, that becomes the law of the land. There is no other court to appeal. But I want you to understand, and I know you know it, but it bears repeating, the rulings from the American Supreme Court have no effect in India. The rulings of the American Supreme Court have no impact in Great Britain. If you travel to another country, the rules, the laws, and the regulations that are applicable here in our home country are not applicable somewhere else. So though we think of the Supreme Court in this capacity, I want you to understand, I know you know, but it bears repeating, that this court is in fact what I'm going to call a Supreme Court of the universe. It supersedes the American Supreme Court. It supersedes the regional courts or the courts of all countries. And in fact, the judgment that comes out of this court is of the highest authority, and the judgment is final. The reason it's called great. But then it's also called white. White. It's not just a great throne of judgment. It's a great white throne of judgment. Most of you who've been in our church for any length of time, you've heard me say this enough plenty of times in our summer series on prophecy that white represents purity. It represents perfection. You'll recall that the bride is given the privilege, the opportunity to wear white. Not because of who she is, but because of who she's married to. All human courts, please listen very carefully to this. All human courts make mistakes. Why? Because they are populated by human beings. And all human beings are stained by sin, by prejudice, and by fallibility. We know from our own system that the Supreme Court makes mistakes. How do we know? Because there are times when they overturn their own decisions. And if you can overturn your own decision, your own ruling, that implies that a previous court made a mistake. But listen carefully. The judge who occupies this bench is singular. The Supreme Court has nine justices. A, a district court has three justices. Always an odd number so that there won't be a tie. And many decisions, especially in the last 20 years of, of the political divide that has swept across our country, many of their decisions have been 5-4. Obviously, not everyone is in agreement. Obviously, there's fallibility. Obviously, there's mistaken thoughts. But listen to me and listen to me very carefully. There's one judge on this court, and he's infallible. He's perfect. He never renders a wrong decision. He never renders a wrong document. He never signs anything that's not perfect in its ordinance and its law. You listen very carefully. Every sinner who's judged and sentenced will know they won't like it. They'll know that they have received perfect and fair judgment. Not only do you see the picture of this throne, I want you to notice the person on this throne. This is fascinating to think about. 
Because if you look at verse number 11, the only thing we know about who occupies that bench is the pronoun him. All we know is the pronoun him. Look at it once again with me. Saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. Him that sat on it. I ask you tonight, who's the him? Who's the him, H-I-M, that's on the throne? I think in a congregation like this, most of you probably know already where I'm going. But to show you that we can look elsewhere to find out who the him is, I want you to look in two different places. First of all, look at Acts chapter number 10 tonight. Flip back with me to Acts chapter number 10. And we will define and document who the him is that's sitting on this throne that has the power, the might, and the authority to render this kind of judgment. Acts chapter number 10, verse number 40. Acts chapter number 10, in verse number 40. In this case, understanding the background of the passage is important because this is certainly not a prophecy section. Rather, Peter is delivering a message. Peter is preaching. He's preaching in Caesarea. He's recounting the life that has been taken in Jesus Christ. He's recounting who Jesus was and his ascension. And notice what he says in verse number 40. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that which he was, that is, let me back up, verse 42, he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. Did you see that? Because I stumbled my words. Peter says in verse 42 that he was ordained of God, the him there is Christ, to be judge of the quick and dead. Let me give you one other. Flip a few more pages, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. 2 Timothy, verse number 4. Excuse me, chapter 4, verse number 1. Again, Paul is not prophesying here, but is rather writing to his young protege, Timothy. Not a prophecy section, but notice his reference in chapter 4, verse number 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says next. Who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing? and his kingdom. One of the great things about Scripture is the clarity that permeates through every book. Acts was written by Dr. Luke. Second Timothy was written by Paul. Yet in referencing Jesus, they both refer to him as the judge of the quick and the dead. So I submit to you tonight that though John in Revelation 
does not tell us who the him is, we can most assuredly know that the him is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who died for the sins of this world. He will be the one who issues divine sentencing on that day. May I pause a moment and say this? He's the only one who's qualified. The only one who's got the spiritual authority to say who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. I also want to remind you folks that we still live in the day of grace. During this time, a sinner can come before God and cry out for forgiveness and the Lord will receive them, save them, will usher them at that day into his kingdom. I share that with you because you need to know this. On that day, there won't be another chance. There won't be another chance. Go back to Revelation, please, chapter 20. Notice, if you would, once more, verse number 11. We looked at the person. We looked at the picture. I you to notice with me the perception on this throne. Again, looking at verse 11, we'll repeat the first part once more. Saw a great white throne, him that sat on it. Notice this. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, there was found no place for them. Bible, very clear here, I believe. There was found no place for for anybody in heaven or anybody on earth to hide from the gaze of the one who sits on the throne. Again, people today live their lives as if they can do anything they want, they can just keep it hidden. And sometimes they don't even keep it hidden. I submit to you tonight that there is no sin that will be hidden that day. His gaze will be all of heaven and all of earth, and no one who has never accepted Christ uh, will not be placed in front of him for judgment. But I say once again, it is only for the law. Only the law. The judge on the throne. Number two tonight, I want you to notice with me the justice dispensed at the throne. The justice dispensed at the throne. Very interesting when you look at our judicial system today. There is clear, indisputable evidence that justice is not always given equally. We all know this. We hear about it, but it bears repeating. Oftentimes, the level of justice that someone receives Depends on the amount of money they can pour out for an attorney. We hear often said, a good attorney can get anybody off. Let's be honest. Again, not wanting to throw any fuel on any flame. We've seen that in our own lifetimes. Where people who were plainly guilty, almost indisputably so, were given commission of sentence, were not sentenced, or were found not guilty based upon the quality of their attorney. Listen carefully. That's one of the reasons I oftentimes like to refer to Jesus Christ, our advocate, as he's called in 1 John, as our defense attorney. He's the best one there's ever been. 
When he pleads our case, he's not trying to get us off. In fact, what he says is, you're right, they're guilty as they can be. You just have to remember the fact that on June the 13th, 1976, in my case, he got under the spout where the blood came out and his sins were removed. But on this day, I want you to notice who the defendants will be. Look, if you would, please, at verse number 12. Look at verse number 12. Let's go back actually and read the end part of verse 11. His face, the earth, and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. Verse 12. I saw the dead. All in great. Stand before God. How do we know that this is a judgment place for the lost? And not everybody. How do we know that this particular judgment seat is not where everybody's sins are judged or everybody's works are judged? I'm going to show you in just a moment that there's even some works involved in this passage. How do we know this is not for everybody? Because it says in verse number 12, I saw the dead. John chapter 5. Verse 24 tells us that if we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we've passed death to life. That when we become gloriously born again, according to John 5, Ephesians 2, verse 1, we're no longer classified by God as dead. We're classified as being alive. So we've been given eternal, abundant life, and I believe the Bible is clear on that. We're not going to lose it. And we're going to never be dead again. We're going to be alive forever. I want you to note here that this includes all spiritually. What does it classify them? Small and great. Small and great. What does that mean? That means king the pauper, the general, the foot soldier, the master, slave, the borrower, the lender, the important, the not so important, everybody, preachers who are not saved, deacons who are not saved, church members, popes, priests, Church members, drunks, prostitutes, drug addicts, pimps, pushers, grandmothers, grandfathers, teenagers, moms, dads, and many people that we classify in our vernacular as good people. Be there. That's one of the things that, quite frankly, frightens me the most. And listen to me carefully. I've said it a thousand times. They're good people. My Bible's clear. No such thing, good people. In fact, it even goes to say there's none righteous. No, not one. I also want to remind you of this, folks. Even though there'll be no escape, there'll be no exceptions, and every person who's ever died without Jesus Christ will face him that day, please, please, please uh, amen me on this. The Lord is not willing that any should perish but that all should come repentance. This is not God's desire 
that you be there. This is not God's heartbeat that the creation that he created in his own image be here. In fact, he provided us a way to not be there. Defendant. Now we're going to get into some murky water. There is almost universal agreement among Bible theologians and Bible scholars about who's going to be there. Everybody agrees who the judge is. Everybody agrees who the defendants are, false people. There is not universal agreement on what I'm calling the documents. I gave you the defendants, but now I want to talk about the documents that are used on that day. If you are a fan of court TV, you've done much reading or listening to legal proceedings, you will note that Oftentimes, verdicts are rendered, and judges will quote very specific court laws, whether they be Supreme Court decisions, whether they be district court decisions. According to Roe versus Wade, according to Plessy versus Ferguson, according to Brown versus the Board of Education, these are court cases that became statutory laws in our country and become the launch pads from which other laws can be written or deduced. Well, we've got something like that here. You see, the Lord's not making this up. Christ is not rendering verdicts based on his opinion. Notice what it says, verse 12. I saw the dead, all in great, stand before God. Notice the next few clauses here, folks. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Now, Here's what we know for certainty. There will be at least three books. How do we know that? Because it very plainly says that the books were open. You got to have two to have plural. And then it very plainly says, and there's another book, which is described for us. It is the only one that is defined, and it is defined as the book of life. So we know that there will be at least three. There may be five million. We don't know. But we know there are at least three, and only one of them is named. And the one that is named is the book of life. I'm going to show you in just a moment how I differentiate that from what the Bible calls the Lamb's book of life. So, What are the other books? I'm going to tell you bluntly, we don't know. The Lord chose not to reveal that to us. So anything that we give you at this point, or I give you this point, is supposition. And I don't care how brilliant the educator or how brilliant the theologian is, the Lord doesn't tell us. So I'm going to give you what I think is the case. But I will also admit to you that some of this is my opinion. I will start by telling you, I think that one of the books that will be utilized 
is the one you hold in your lap. I believe, and again, this is my opinion, that the Lord will base his judgment upon this word. The word that is the spoken word of God. The word that is sharper than a two-edged sword. The word that cuts both ways and tears asunder. I believe, Gregology, that the Bible will be part of the basis of the judgment rendered at that day. I also will give you another book that I know will be there, but I don't know the name of it. So I'm going to call it, again, my terminology, and a lot of scholars use this, the book of deeds. The book of deeds. Why do we say that? Why do we call it that? Look again at that same text, please. Saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books. Notice the next clause. According their works. Same thing as deeds. You understand tonight that you're not saved by your work. Saved by grace, the gift of God, by faith. You also understand tonight that on that day, on that day, according to Matthew chapter 25, uh, uh, or, 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 or excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, excuse me, verse number 21, 22, and 23, there will be people who are trying to utilize the works as the basis for their salvation, as the basis for them getting in. According to Matthew chapter number 7, verse 21, there will be people who say, I'm paraphrasing, Lord, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Lord, I preached. I cast out demons. I did all kinds of good things. Do you understand that all of those are works? All of those are works. And so folks uh, who try to utilize that on that day, and you know, let's just pause a moment, because in our mind, somebody preaching, that's a good work. In our mind, somebody casting out a demon is a good work. Until you get to the scripture that plainly says there's no such thing as good works. All of our good works are as what? Healthy so there are i believe and i'm calling it a book of deeds you can call it whatever you want but there's a book where what everybody's ever done is there and everybody who says i've done that and i've done that and i've done that and i've done that the lord will say you know what you're exactly right you did do that that's filthy rags according to my word and then he'll say According to, again, Matthew chapter number 25, verse 41, you'll very clearly say, even though you think you've got good works, even though you claim to have done these wonderful things, none of which which mount up or pay the debt that you owe because of your sin, you will have but one statement to say, apart from me, for I never You know, I think that there's the Bible, there is the book of deeds, and then there is the one that's clearly stated there, the book of life, the book of life. This is a book that is talked about repeatedly in Scripture, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Psalm 69, 28, it's called the Book of the Living. Revelation chapter, in fact, let's, let's look at a couple of verses together. Flip back to Revelation chapter 3, please. We won't be much longer. Revelation chapter 3. This message to the church of Sardis, Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Christ says, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Right? Up to Revelation 17, please. Revelation 17. Verse 8. We looked at this last week, but it bears repeating. The beast and thou sawest was and is not shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, go into perdition. They dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life. And notice the next clause from the foundation of the world. Says when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So we we we've got clear indications of the book of life. In fact, again, it's I've got about forty verses here. You're not going to flip to all of them. So I'm not going to ask you to. About in the Old Testament and the New Testament about the book of life. Psalm sixty nine twenty eight. Again, it's called the book of the living, book of life, book of living. Flip one more place, please. Because we've got to differentiate this. This is where the gray matter lies and where folks get all toe up. Revelation 21, 7, please. Revelation 21, 27. There shall in no wise enter into it, and the it there is the new heaven, anything that defileth, Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Notice the next clause. But they which are written in the Lamb book of life. Now that's different. There are plenty of scholars. I shouldn't say. There are some scholars who will contend they're the same. I'm going to show you tonight where I think they're not. Why that's critically important for us. What does it matter? I believe it matters a great deal. Because contingent upon that thought is whether or not someone can lose their salvation. Because if they are the same, then someone's name can be blotted out. You understand that to have your name blotted out is eternal damnation. There's no coming back from that. It's one of the things that trips up those that believe you can be lost and saved and lost and saved because Scripture is clear. Once your name's blotted out, it ain't going back in. That's the end of it. So that belies the idea that the book of life is one in which your name can be in and out and in and out and in and out because once it's out, it's out for good, according to Scripture. So what do we have? Well, I'm going to try to give you a simple illustration. We use two songbooks here at our church. Brother Ken references them as Blue Book and the Red Book. 
These are our two congregations. Isn't that clever of him? The blue hymn book and the red hymn book. The blue hymn book is a whole lot thicker than the red hymn book. There's a whole lot more pages in the blue hymn book than there are the red hymn book. I want you to think with me for just a second that the blue hymn book is the book of life, or as Psalm 69 calls it, the book of the living. Every name, every person who's ever been born or whoever will be born, their names are in this book. They were there from the foundation of the world. Would you amen me tonight? God is sovereign. He knows who's going to be born next week, next month, next year, and in 10 years from now. He knows it all. The names of the babies, millions who've been aborted, their names are never breathed a breath. They're right here. The names of David's child that he wept and mourned over, that I'll see him again. Everyone ever breathed who was ever a living being, and I'll even back it up because to be aborted means you didn't breathe, but I contend they were still living beings, living humans. Their names are in this book, the living. And when someone gloriously, majestically, and wonderfully born again, their names become written down, the Lamb. So on June the 13th, 1976, Greg Hodges knelt at the altar of Wayside Baptist Church. The Lord dipped his quill in the ink of Calvary's blood, opened up that much smaller book, the Lamb's Book of Life, wrote my name. So in this book, there's a song that we like to sing. My name is there. The Lamb's Book. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. All of that's talking about the Lamb's Book of Life. Listen to me carefully. You have no choice about this book. Everybody's in this book. Those that are in this book are only those who accept the free pardon of sin. It says that the names can be blotted out. Scripture's very clear about that. It says it can be blotted out. In fact, it says those whose names are not in can never get in because if they've been blotted out, what does that mean? If we can never lose our salvation, our names never come out of this book. Understand? Die without Jesus Christ. We never pass from death to life. Our names are blotted out. This book. Incredible thing. Every time someone, not incredible. Every time someone dies without Christ, in that moment and in that moment alone, 
all hope is gone. They have no more chances. God takes his heavenly eraser. Out that name. Spiritually dead. That day, great white throne of judgment day, names in names in names in will be those in the book of the living never die. The only way to never die have your name. This book, this one never, great white throne of, reading a little Gregology. That doesn't happen on the white throne. They are the ones whose names are not in. I believe what will happen will be. Name will be. Here, Lord. Name's not here, Lord. Hey, apart from. Last thought, we're done. A little bit long. I understand that. Last thought, I promise. Back to our text this evening. Notice what it says, please. Chapter 20. Judgment from the throne is quick in its sense. Verse 13 says, Sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged to every man according to their works. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This second. Born once, die twice. Born twice, I once. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life, passed. I want. I want everyone to understand tonight. I know you do, but I have to say it again. Vision over who there. God, everyone, come into. I believe that as surely as I hold the Bible in my hand. Not willing that. No one on that day will be able to say, Lord, have the truth. 
also give you for Greg Oliver. I've been asked this question a couple times. Will we, like the teens ask, will we who are saved have to say that moment about the blood that's on loved one absolutely Long, no tears in heaven. Quite right. There'll be. I believe. After this, Lord comes. Process. I'm going to invite you to. I know it's a Wednesday night. No, we went a little bit long this. I want to invite you very quickly, and I promise I'm closing. I want to invite you to. There are loved ones that you're worried about right now. Friends, family members. I invite you to. Join me at this as we get to the altar. Not just pray for, to pray that we would be the instruments to get to. Challenge you tonight as we pray. Let their faces run. Are care about. No shape, form, fashion. Sweet heavenly, Lord, we read passages like this. Almost a dichotomy of feeling. The one hand, we celebrate, rejoice over the fact that we don't have to be. We rejoice over the fact that those of us accepted the free gift of salvation have to be experienced that. Lord, we might witness we don't have to experience. Lord, the opposite side of that coin reality all of us. Altar. Got family. Got friends. Got folks that are our very heartbeat. But we're worried that they will be there. But Lord, it is not just my prayer, but our prayer. Would use us, Lord, as the instrument, witness. Lord, I stand as an example. The hardest people to witness to are our own family. Lord, one of the most humiliating moments of my life, you know this, Lord, was the day my grandpa laughed at me and my dad. Find a witness. 
Lord, I also recognize the fact that the fervent prayer of a righteous faileth. Three years later, a little bit of fruit, seed, yielded good fruit. Lord, help us be the agent. Shows them like to love Jesus. Lord, that's why we do everything we do. While we do Sunday school, that's why we do Juanas, that's why we do choir, that's why we have preaching. Show lost sinners. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen. You are dismissed tonight. Thank you for your attention. We'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you this day.